hoping you can hear that engine. It's a rather unusual engine. It's a Rolls-Royce Merlin powering a Spitfire. It's just flown over. It's a very unusual aircraft in that it's a training aircraft. It's a two-seater. And it's used, it's flown from an airfield near where I live. Uh, so if you have the, the inclination and quite a lot of money, you can buy yourself a flight. It's uh, such a remarkable sound, I thought I'd quickly grab my phone and record it. Maybe make it part of the beginning of the talk. So, that's gone. I'm now back in the wheat field beginning of the ridge walk. Really beautiful day, incredible light. Quite cloudy but with sunlight illuminating the various various patches of woodland. thinking about what to talk about. I may return to some of the iconography stuff. I was, I was thinking about an aspect of, of attitude to training, which um, again, it, it might, be for, might be for people who've been training for a while, but hopefully even if you're new to Zen meditation. It's something, it will be something to bear in mind, maybe a, a mistake to avoid. <clears throat> and, and that error is training in order to reach some state, some place of, of rest, if you like, of ease. Um, a, a monk uh, gave a talk about this, that kind of this kind of attitude many years ago up at the abbey that I go to, and she described it as training for the comfy chair. The idea that we can put the effort in now, and then at some point we can put our feet up. We'll have done enough. We'll have won the prize, if you like. Almost like a spiritual retirement. And I, 
think like most things, it's, it's, it's not an absolute thing. It's not a terrible thing. But I think it's an important... I think it is important in, uh, as, a, as a kind of delusion there. And uh, on the one hand, I think in some ways we train. It's almost like stepping stones. If we're going in the right direction, I think we, broadly speaking step from one state of delusion into maybe a slightly better state of delusion it's you know most of the time day to day we're moving forward gently and if you get too perfectionistic about it then these small steps might seem a waste of time or unimportant and that's very very far from the truth uh, and so, it's, so you might have somebody who loses interest in training because they're not making great strides and making large changes to themselves. Um, these things do definitely happen. And unfortunately, a lot of the, a lot of the literature about Zen, uh, particularly the sort of koan stories or Zen stories where very often it's around great enlightenment moments and great, great um, moments where people... Uh, sort of lumps of delusion fall away, if you like, or sudden realisations about things. And those things are all really great and useful and important. But the stories don't necessarily include what's implied, which is that uh, the master and the disciple have been training together for, for years, sometimes decades thousands of early morning bells and meditation sessions in all circumstances, all kinds of difficulty. So it's, it's easy to be misled. And I, I think I was at the beginning very much. I was, I, I've read a lot of these, uh, lot of these stories and I thought it was all about these moments so early on I was really keen to have them and I was I'd sort of get myself in a situation where I could have a one-to-one -one with a senior senior monk and uh, again I, I really I think that was great in, in, in some ways I really look back and think of myself as a very keen uh, very keen trainee who really wanted to make progress but I also look back and realise that uh, there's an element there of, first of all, straightforward misunderstanding of what the nature of Zen training is most of the time. And there's also an element of greed and storming heaven. I think I've mentioned in the past that sort of attitude where you can batter your way to the truth by force of will or use of the mind. Uh, which doesn't work, <laughs> very much doesn't work. Um, it's not a good way of... A... Just declining a phone call, in case that came through. Um, so...
So this idea of not training for any particular state or thing. Again, if, if, if I look back, it's pretty clear that that kind of thing is very much discouraged by the very same sources that I was energetically ignoring early on in my training. It's very easy and interesting. It's, it's very easy to to read something and just read what you want to read, really. I think we've all seen that in ourselves and sometimes in other people. Uh, two people can read the same thing and will see the same event and come away with very different ideas. And I think that's uh, an important thing to bear in mind. It's almost uh, a sign if you have a book, I remember some of the books that I've had in the past about Zen. They almost fell open on the pages of people having great revelations and so on. It's almost a sign, actually, you need to really look at the, look at the rest of it. You need to really understand what the shape of training really is and the nature of training. And this concentration on getting somewhere. I think it's quite interesting because it's a, it's a reflection of a kind of worldly approach to, to training, which again is completely fair, it's completely reasonable given that we come from a worldly perspective, particularly early on. You know, when you've been in an environment like a school environment or any kind of education environment where you're working towards an exam or some sort of fixed goal, then there's a tendency to order things around meeting the requirements of that thing, putting lots of energy and effort in, and then having a rest afterwards. And very often that gets through into some kinds of work. A lot of the work that I've done in my life has been project-driven, with deadlines and so on. And although uh, this kind of cycle of activity is absolutely present in in life, in everyone's life really, very often, almost everyone I would say, including monks up at the, monks up at the abbey. Um, if there's a big retreat on, they will work extremely hard, making sure that everyone is looked after, fed. And I know having worked on a couple of retreats myself, um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of effort that goes into it, a lot of care, and people are quite reasonably tired <laughs> afterwards, and the schedule quite often, you know, particularly with the la large retreats, uh, very often the schedule will reflect that for a day or two after, the, after a really big retreat. 
there'll be a bit more, a little bit more time to sleep and so on and recover. But what I'm talking about is is really more like an underlying idea that sits behind the motivation for training. And uh, <clears throat> as I say, for a while it's fine. And I think like most of these things, it becomes, it becomes less and less easy to, to sustain, to live with um, over the years. Like so many things in life that we initially hold dear to ourselves, uh, very often these things lose their true attraction and we kind of carry them around almost out of habit. And then eventually, hopefully, we let them drop. And one of the things that... It's something that helped me some years ago, really. I, I went through a little phase of really looking at this. And there's a, there's a sung scripture that appears in not all um, morning services, but the longer form of morning service. Uh, which is called Adoration of the Buddha's Relics. Which I won't get into because there's obviously quite a lot of quite a lot of meaning to it. But there's a line in it which it's uh, it says to life's end, my refuge is the Buddha. And that kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to communicate really. Um, there's a big difference between this is my practice and I'm going to practice until I feel okay about things and then I can chill out and you know, either feel self-satisfied or hopefully other people will think I'm pretty cool because I've got to where I am. Uh, contrast that with to life's end, my refuge is the Buddha. And I think it's pretty clear which is the true position to be in from the perspective of Buddhist training. And it's, it's also a line that's inspired me in the, in the ceremony hall when we, we've sung that. Occasionally, again, I bring it to mind day to day. A reminder of the of what is really important. And part of the context of this is um, recently I found myself being dragged out of kind of central, centered position, stable position by things that have been going on in the world out there. And um, I've been keeping up on the daily meditation practice, so it hasn't been entirely bad. That's helped to keep me somewhat centred. But I've been very aware that I've been affected by what's going on, protests and things. And um, 
and it's just become more and more clear that although these things are not outside of reality and the reality by practice are not it's not a good idea to pretend that they're not going on um, I don't have to take sides I don't have to I don't have to put energy into them I can allow them to sit there as I sit in my meditation practice and I can be grounded I can remain grounded and just in case people are wondering why it's important to be grounded as opposed to launching off my bench and getting angry about stuff or joining in marches and things that may be that may be the right thing for other people to do and it may be the right thing at some point in the future for me to do i don't know i'm not making any any judgment but certainly at the moment it just feels like stillness is not in necessarily in great supply <laughs> so my own life if I can if I can come from stillness and again see what's see what's necessary see what's good to do then not only am I better able to meet the needs of the moment but also the people I see look after in some ways I look after my mum basically she's 81 and is uh, classed as vulnerable so I'm doing my best to keep her fed and sane in a very difficult situation and it's very clear that um, the last thing that she needs is for somebody to turn up who's agitated and angry about things So it seems best to come back to stillness, which is really what I've been taught, and then act from stillness. It's not that we don't act, it's that we try and act from a, the deepest place that we can. And sometimes what's good to do is surprising. Sometimes what's good to do is nothing at all in the worldly sense. But as I say, I'm not, I'm not writing off anybody's um, attempts to do good in the world. It's not for me to make any, any judgment about. So talking about this, this idea of a place of comfort, I think 
there is some there is some truth in it in that uh, I think going on in training broadly speaking gives one more stability and the amount of suffering in one's life does decline in that we basically stop banging our head against the wall so it, it's it's not hugely surprising that the amount of suffering in our life declines when we stop doing things which are inherently unwise and cause suffering to ourselves and very often other people too. So it's not that things don't get better. They do, in my experience. But the fact that things have got better and are getting better and may get better in the future is not the same as saying there is a place where I can get to, where I can put my feet up and everything will be fine and I can coast. Because it doesn't seem like that whatsoever. In fact, that seems to be something which in itself starts to muck things up. A monk once said to me that you have to keep pumping with training, you know, if, if, our, if our life is a leaky boat, even if you pump it dry, if you then sit back and think, right, well, that's done. Well, that's not how leaky boats work, I'm afraid. But I think the other side of that is to say that in the end, a lot of these ideas that we have about what our life is and should be like including this idea of a cosmic holiday or a comfy chair period. That's just an idea that we lay upon our lives. And it doesn't really take into account the reality of what a human being is. How a human being functions in the world. So with so many of these things, what seems like a sacrifice, what seems like a disillusionment, which can be uncomfortable, um, it's something I've often thought actually, we all want to lose, we all want to be free of illusion and feel like we're walking in truth, but very few people like the feeling of being disillusioned, <laughs> and again in my experience, yeah you've got to, you've got to let go. And uh, some of the illusions that we carry around are really nice. But ultimately, truth will out. And the more sensitive we get to the gap between illusion and reality, the more clear it becomes that we need to let go of even comfortable and pleasing illusions. Again, what I would say is if that sounds scary, it is a bit, but I found to the extent that I've been able to let go of illusion, reality has always been completely beyond 
any illusion that I may have held. Being human, of course, I will hold on to illusions extremely hard for a very long time. And, uh, and the nature of illusion is that we don't necessarily see things which are illusory as illusions. It's funny because sometimes we can see other people's delusion is more easily than we can see our own and because of that I wouldn't say that gives us a license to look down on people or to be patronizing or condescending in any way whatsoever I see that as a, a means to remind ourselves to look very very carefully at ourselves to see where our illusions are. I may have talked before about Kazan Zenji, a very significant priest in the Soto Zen line. He talked about so much. I mean, the Denkaroku is so such a wonderful piece of work. It'd be great to read that if you haven't already. But um, in one of them, at least one of them, one of the chapters of the Denkaroku, which is the effectively the story of the ancestral line of the Soto Zen lineage, he talks about being a dutiful being. And again, I really enjoy really enjoy that idea because duty there's something about duty because duty doesn't really come from outside because duty in a sense is a feeling of wanting to fulfill something fulfill a trust or request or confidence or role and that wish to fulfill is something which is very much that comes from the comes from the inside at the same time without some kind of without something bigger there's nothing to be dutiful towards or to or So being a dutiful being points to both a, a mundane reality in a sense that we have responsibilities and duties in our lives, which isn't a mundane reality at all actually, <laughs> gives life meaning. But also it points to something bigger than ourselves. Clearly. And that's partly why this whole idea of a comfy chair in the end 
isn't good enough, isn't satisfying. Because I think, if we're really honest, there is a wish to go as far and as deep and as truthfully into training as we possibly can in this life. Life is short. And in Buddhism it's said that being born as a human being is an incredibly great gift. Because we can hear the teaching and choose to put it into practice. We have the tools that we need right now, right in front of us, to be able to train. So let's do that. So as I grind my way up to the top of the ridge, this seems like a wonderful time and place to end this recording. And I hope you have an excellent day. And I wish you very well.